It is uh, December 3rd. It is 2014. Our message is called Embedded Nails. Turn with me to Genesis 6. I want to show you a couple things in the Word. This will be one of those messages where uh, we will cover an enormous amount of Scripture, but that's okay. You're up to the task. Amen? All right. In Genesis 6, starting in verse 13. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. You know the rest of that story. I'm about to give you seven instances in the Word where God speaks to His people before a judgment comes. If you can demonstrate something in the law, in the prophets, and in the writings, it is fair to say that it is scripturally sound. Tonight, I want to talk to you about hearing the voice of God. I want to talk to you about the importance of knowing His voice. Noah preached for over a hundred years after receiving that word. And eight people in all were saved. What if he had never heard that word? What if God was saying it, but he was too busy watching CNN? What if God was saying it, but he was surfing some area of the internet he should not have been surfing? Where would that leave us? There are points in history in which an ordinary human being hearing from God has been the fulcrum on which God moved the entire world. Look at Genesis 18 with me and see how God spoke to the patriarch. In Genesis 18, start with me in verse 16. When the men got up to leave, they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations on the earth will be blessed through him, for I have chosen him. Somebody say chosen. God chose him to direct his family, but he also chose him to know what God's will was. It was an honest question, should I hide it from him? I want to tell you that God never hides his will from his people. It may have been to the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it is to the glory of kings to search it out. Proverbs 25, 2 says that. And my point here being, you are called to be a kingdom of priests. While it may be hidden from others, it should not be hidden from us. In the first example, Noah heard from God and preached righteousness to a world. In the second example, Abraham heard from God and knew what the outcome in Sodom and Gomorrah would be before God even began it. Look at the 19th chapter and the 14th verse. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get up out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his son-in-laws thought he was joking. Oh, dear God, what an important message. Did it prove to be true? As true as the message that God had given Abraham, as true as the message that God had given Noah. And look, God warned the righteous that the judgment was coming. You might wonder with Lot, just how righteous do you have to be to hear from God? He's not exactly had a stellar story 
up to this point. In fact, he's an example of the compromising, backslidden church. I want to tell you that with our God, mercy triumphs over judgment. And he is still speaking even when you are not listening. It's time for us to tune our ears into his command. The first example, Noah. The second, Abraham. The third, Lot. Turn with me to Genesis 41 and notice that we are working from left to right through your Bible. It is the same story repeated over and over and over. In Genesis 41, when you slide your finger down to the 28th verse, you will be where I am. Somebody say there. There. It is just as I have said to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance of Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. Oh my goodness, God had spoken to a monarch, but he didn't understand it. Even when God hasn't spoken directly to you, He will speak to others in a way that maybe only you understand it. But He is speaking to this very day. The difference between our God and the idols is they are not capable of a living and active word. It is good to see you, Al Alkin. God bless you. Amen. When our brothers get out of the hospital, it is always a good day. Amen. Where are you at, Justin Treister? Good day for the Christians. Good day. All right. In our first example, we had Noah. In the second, Abraham. In the third, Lot. In the fourth, Joseph. Turn with me to Exodus. Pick up with me in the seventh chapter. When you're in the seventh chapter in the first verse, then you are in the right place. The Lord God said to Moshe, So I see I have made you like whom? Oh my goodness. Say it again. I have made you like... Oh, the very word Christian is supposed to mean like Christ. See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. Pharaoh represents the ruling powers of the world. But God made Moses like God to Pharaoh. When God puts his word in your mouth, you become the voice of God. When he puts his hand inside of your hand, you become God's hand. He says that he leads Israel out of Egypt, but he uses Moses to do it. And while Moses had to carry it out, God says, I did it. We are the tools of God. And if you're going to be used by him, you may not know the entire plan, but you will certainly know your next step. We are to be led by God. Amen. See, I've made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. There are times you cannot get a message to the person that you want to get it to, but you can give it to someone who will get it there. Whether whether in the previous example, Pharaoh had a dream, but you understand it, or in this example, God spoke it to you, but you can't get the message to someone. He will give it to you to give to someone. In the name of Jesus, how important is it that men of God know the will of God? Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you. Your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of this country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt with mighty acts of judgment. I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord." What an amazing thing. God tells Moses, 
exactly what is going to happen and was he correct? Was Moses scared? Did Moses whine and ask somebody else to do it? It can be a fearful thing to know what the will of God is, but scared or not, it is our job to do the will of God on earth. We sing the song and even our more liturgical brothers pray the prayer. Your kingdom, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How does his will get done on earth? You must first perceive what his will is to be able to carry it out. All attempts at formula, all attempts at simply religious formula have failed to discern what God's will is. Even knowing the scripture does not mean that you know how to apply that scripture to your situation. What you do, do quickly. This is a quote from Jesus. So does this mean that we do everything in fifth gear? Those of you with speeding tickets, is this how we justify them? No, this was a word for Judas. It was a word for Judas. Do we apply that word to everything that we do in our lives? Probably not. But might the Lord speak that word to you in a situation? Of course he might. You must know what God's will is. And his word is living and active. But you must know his will to know how to apply that word. And the first example was Noah. Second, Abraham. Third, Lot. Fourth, Joseph. When God speaks to Moses, what was on the line? Turn with me to Numbers 33. When you get there, find the third verse. In Numbers 33... Starting in verse 3. You can put these on the screen, Steph. The Israelites set out from Ramses on the 15th day of the first month, the day after Passover. They marched out boldly in full view of all of the Egyptians. That is an interesting phrase. I won't teach on it now, but those of you that understand what a sowed is, there's a sowed to be had here. When we kick off the bonds of decay when we lay aside the slavery of our flesh's weaknesses, the whole world is going to see it. Every eye will see the return of Christ and the resurrection of the dead, just as every Egyptian saw Israel leave, who were bearing all their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them, for the Lord had brought judgment on their gods. We need to know that at times, it's not just about a widow and her might. It's not just about going to Zarephath and seeing food multiplied. Sometimes there are larger forces that are at work. Kingdom is clashing against kingdom. And God reveals His will to the men that He chooses to make it known. And friends, you have been chosen. And it has something to do with what's happening on the earth, but it also has something to do with the gods that are being judged in heavenly realms. I say that with a little g. If you prefer to say demon or angelic powers, this is just fine. But God is bringing judgment on them. What happens if Moses says no? What happens if he fails to hear God? What happens if he runs and hides in a hole? What are the consequences? Sometimes our actions are so much bigger than ourselves. It may seem insignificant, but there are stories that are true to this day of a woman tithing a bowl of rice and later the largest church in the world springs from it. Or a man praying for a bicycle and a stranger delivering him a bicycle. And today, a a million Korean Christians know the Lord because of one act 
of faithfulness. There can be enormous benefits and consequences to doing or not doing what the Lord's will is. We think very often of sin as doing something that you shouldn't do. James 4.17 says, When you know the good that you ought to do and do not do it, you sin. We are to know what God's will is. And once you have ascertained what His will is, nothing can stop you from doing it. The fifth example was Moses. Turn with me to the book of Jonah. Notice that we are walking through the law and the writings and have landed in the prophets. In Jonah, the first chapter and first verse, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. How does a man on one side of the world hear a message that is to go to a foreign city and preach against that city? He knew what God's will was. He knew what God's will was for Nineveh. In fact, he rebelled against God's will and God was patient and merciful. Brought about a resurrection of the dead that changed Jonah's mind. What changed your mind about doing God's will? Oh my goodness. In the very same book, the third chapter in the fourth verse, look at that one. In the third chapter... In the fourth verse, it says, On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. Do you see how the will of God is growing in his life? He first knew that there would be a judgment leveled against them, and he ran from that. After becoming obedient and heading into the city, he finds out the specific details of the journey. Let me ask you, was Nineveh overturned? It was not that day. Their repentance brought about a stay in God's judgment. We can know exactly what God intends to do. You know who the unknown variable is? It's men. When they hear His voice, will they listen to Him? The sun obeys Him. The birds obey Him. The oceans obey Him. Men have the audacity to tell Him no when they know what His will is. But His will will be done if it is only 7,000 prophets left in Israel. Those 7,000 will have to be enough. When the armies of Israel marched out of Egypt and got to the land that was the promised land and they stood and decided themselves too small and the giants too big, did that prevent God from bringing them in? No, it just delayed God's plan. Some 38 years later, fewer people went in. You can count the numbers. There were 2,000 less people, 2,000 and some change, but they still overcame. Some of them were older than they were before. Think of old Caleb. Now he's 80 years old, but he says, I can still do it because the same God is still with me. There may have been things that have gotten in the way of God's will in your life, but God's will is God's will, and there is not a plan B. There never has been a plan B. This is the fanciful thoughts of a new generation of theologians that speak of a permissive will of God. The truth is, is God has a singular plan and the only variable in it is will you discern His will and then will you accomplish His will. In Genesis, we saw Genesis 6, Noah knew before the judgment of the world that it would happen. We saw in Genesis 18 that Abraham knew about Sodom and Gomorrah before it would happen. In Genesis 19, we saw that Lot knew about the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah before it happened. All of these men told others. All of these men preached. (laughs) These men were rarely listened to. 
It was the same then as it is now. Joseph warned Egypt, and to Egypt's credit, where you at, Ibrahim? To Egypt's credit, they listened to the Savior Prince. Zaphonoth Paneah means Savior of Egypt. And he was the Savior of Egypt because they heeded his words. Incidentally, who had a hard time hearing his words? His own brothers. In Exodus 7, we saw that Moses knew about the plan of God and knew its details even before it came about. In the book of Jonah, we see that Jonah was privy to the details of God's plan. All this takes us to the book of Amos. When you find it, let me know you're there. Don't wait for the screen. Find it in your Bible. If you have fallen into the trap of believing that the minor prophets are minor, you have missed out greatly. My 13-year-old son read this today, and he gave excellent commentary on it. He said, Dad, God really kicked some major butt in this book. Oh, it's true. It's true. The minor prophets are not minor. Are you in Amos yet? In Amos, the first chapter, Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Edom, and Ammon all have prophesied judgment before it happens. In the second chapter of Amos, Moab, Judah, and Israel all have prophesied judgment before it happens. The book of Amos opens with two years before the earthquake of Uzziah's day. The word of the Lord came to Amos. The point here is that God is telling His people before it happens. When you arrive at the third chapter and the seventh verse, we have a startling conclusion that no person in this room should miss. Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing His plan to His servants the prophets. Our God does not keep His will hidden. I know when we read the book of Revelation, it has become popular for pastors just to say, I don't know, one day it will be revealed. You have a responsibility to God to seek His face about how He wants to carry out His will on the earth and what your plan is. I know it's become popular to dismiss the idea and simply say, well, I'm just a soldier of the Lord. All I need to know is how to be saved. No, friends, we need to know how to interact daily. And we need to seek His face daily. In knowing the will of God, it gives us the opportunity to carry it out. If you're in love with the Lord and you want His kingdom to be established, you cannot wait for everyone else to do it. You have a role in it. Psalm 138, the 8th verse says, I know that the Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. The Lord will cause it to come about, but the way that He causes it to come about is by revealing it to you and letting you put feet to your faith. So let me ask you, when is the last time the Lord spoke something to you? And when He spoke something to you, did you deliberate? Did you debate until the moment had passed? Did you console yourself by saying, next time I will be obedient? When the Lord speaks, friends, the answer should be yes before you understand what He has asked of you because you already gave Him your life. And when you've given Him your life, dead men do not calculate consequence. They're already dead. There's one consequence you're allowed to calculate. You're allowed to consider what it will cost you to be disobedient. The Bible's already made the calculation for you. The wages of sin are death. 
The way that seems right to a man ends in destruction. But obedience, faith that produces obedience, oh, this is glory here and after. This is eternal glory. More than that, it's a crown for your king. And he deserves one. He wore a crown of thorns that you might bring him a crown worthy of him. Do you love him? Oh, does just Michael love him or do the rest of you love him? Did you come to hear just one more message and go home and watch a sitcom? Or do you want to know what the will of God is? Oh, what a power. Moses himself, when tempted to be jealous that the people were prophesying, said plainly, I wish that all God's people were prophets. Because if they all had a responsibility to God's will, if they all knew what God's will was and were trying to carry it out, the weight on him would not be nearly so heavy. There are too few doing way too much in the kingdom. We've elected our leaders And we love them. If they speak well and are pretty people, we want them to represent us. You're out of luck. I actually believe that the hope of the church rests on your ability to hear from God. As we move through this message, I want you to know, everywhere that you look in the Bible, God revealed His will before it happened. And ordinary men, shepherds, fishermen, sometimes statesmen, They understood His will and they told others about it. Oh, that we could discern our times. That we could be in the very small group of people that both understand our times and know what needs to be done in a very practical way. The primary function of the entire Tanakh, the 39 books of the Older Testament, were all leading up to something. Could we look together at Luke 24? When you get there, say, I'm there. I'm there. Are you on your way? (laughs) Are you working at it? In Luke 24, starting in verse 25, He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter His glory? Beginning with Moses... And all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So let me ask you, did they turn to the book of John on that day? This is the day of the resurrection. What scriptures could they possibly have had to turn to? They had the 39 books of the Tanakh. And Jesus said those 39 books, they testified about what would have to happen. But how many people understood what would happen? Just having a Bible is not enough. Saying that, well, I have the Word of God, I have all I need. No, no, that is not all you need. You need to know God's Word for you right now. Jesus referred to it as daily bread, and you can't get your daily bread delivered to you from a pulpit. It will rest upon your ability to hear from God. How strange is it among Pentecostal, charismatic, and Protestant people that we would like to re-erect a papacy and have someone else hear from God for us and tell us what to do. Our papacy may not wear a funny hat. Now they might just wear expensive suits. They may not be in Rome. They might reside in Springfield, Missouri or somewhere else. You have no right to put links in the chain between you and God. It is your responsibility to hear from the Lord. That extends into a home. That extends into a workplace. That extends to every person 
hear. How old do you have to be to hear from God? My children know my voice at a very early age. I notice that little Anna Eregina turns towards her parents when they speak and she is an infant. How smart do you have to be to hear from God? If it depended upon your intellect, we would all be lost. It seems that intellect is actually, at times, a bit of a hindrance. And all of your reasoning, I would encourage you not to reason God out. He wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to them this age. He wants to speak to them at this age. The kingdom is built upon a rock. That rock is that ordinary men can receive revelation from heaven. And friends, when it was given to you from heaven, nothing on earth can take it from you. But when it was given to you by other men, you can be talked out of it. You can be confused about it. You can make excuses and pick which revelation you like best. And we've done a good job of that. The Great Reformation has continued splintering until there is a church on every corner arguing about everything. Except the things that matter. I've noticed that when we're on the mission field, all of those doctrinal divides begin to fade away. You care only about who is working beside you. You no longer care whether or not the communion juice is fermented. You no longer care whether or not we stand or kneel when we pray or how the women cut their hair or what kind of music someone listens to or whether they like or do not like table salt, wine, or other things in the kingdom. Church, if you've heard from God, that settles so much. Do you feel a responsibility to hear from Him? See, I feel a responsibility. Of course, you expect it of me, don't you? You expect me to hear from God and share something good with you. What does your neighbor expect of you? If it's something less, then how can we be a kingdom of priests? Who is it that you are a priest to? So, well, we have the Bible and we can preach the Bible to the world. I would never diminish the Bible. The Bible is amazing. But how do you know what to preach? How do you know whom to preach it to? How do you know when to preach it? Even farmers know some seed grows at different times of the year. We have to hear from the Lord. In this way, Romans 8.14 says, As many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. I want to encourage you to no longer rely upon tribal knowledge. I'm a man who dwells in community. My house is full of people every day. My life is full of people every day. There's scarcely one of you, maybe two of you, that receives the number of phone calls and interactions that I get in a day. And yet there is only one voice that I have to hear every day. And how sad are the days when I let every other voice drown his out. Oh, wives, you want to know what's wrong with your husband? Has he heard from God? You want to know what's wrong with your teenager? Have they heard from God? And have we provided the opportunity for that to happen? You know, we can talk about communication styles till we're blue in the face. We can talk about parenting techniques. Of course, one moment in the presence of God fixes it all, doesn't it? What do we really need? In Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, you don't have to turn there. I, I, I promise not to lie tonight while I'm preaching. In the 15th chapter and the third verse, 
He speaks of the scripture and says that they were warnings for us, that they were encouragements for us. And I ask you, what scripture could he be talking about? He had to be speaking of all of the Older Testament. He goes so far in that chapter to say, what I received, I passed on to you of first importance, that Jesus died and rose from the dead. What an interesting thing since that is not written in the Older Testament, except it is written to those who could hear from God. How few was that number among the most religious people on the planet? You know, I heard Bill Clinton say one time, the problem with some who believe they've heard from God is not everybody's heard the same thing. Talk about throw out the baby with the bathwater. Does this mean that none of us should try? What would happen to us if the apostle Peter had not heard from God, you are the Christ, the son of the living God who was to come into the world? What would the church be founded on? Well, perhaps we could find a good marketing program. That seems to be today's alternative. Turn with me to Deuteronomy. If you're feeling the pressure to hear from God, I want you to hear something about what we hear from God. In the first chapter of Deuteronomy, in the first chapter of Deuteronomy, starting with me in the 15th verse. So I took the leading men of your tribes, wise and respected men, and appointed them to have authority over you as commanders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens, as tribal officials. And I charged your judges at that time, hear the disputes between your brothers and judge fairly, whether the case is between brothers Israelites or between one of them and an alien. Do not show partiality in judging. Hear both small and great alike. Do not be afraid of any man, for judgment belongs to... Judgment belongs to... It is never our job to come to the conclusion. It is never our job to decide for ourselves what should happen. Even if you are a judge, what you render is supposed to come from Him. What you speak is supposed to come from Him. This allows us to look at people when we've heard from God and share with them what God says. And if they don't like it, it's not us they have a problem with. It's God. Have you ever been personally offended when you were sharing a pearl that you heard from God with someone? Well, was it your pearl or was it His? See, we get upset. Maybe that's because there's too much of our word in what we're sharing. Jesus only said what the Father told him to say. And how was he treated? I'd like to take the pressure off of you. You have to hear from God. You have to speak his judgments when he gives them to you. You're under no obligation to speak when he has not told you. And you're under no obligation as to how it is received. Do you know why Jonah ran from Nineveh? He was scared to death. They would heed his message. And he wanted God to wipe them out. Before you think of him too harshly, you ought to look at what Nineveh was like. And while they repented for a while, they later became a serious enemy of Israel. They had a skulls piled outside their gate a hundred feet into the air. But God wants his will known to all men. He gives all men the opportunity to accept or reject his will. Should we still have that opportunity? Or have we already given up our right to reject 
His will. Notice the divine order in Deuteronomy 1, 15 through 18. We're speaking of homes. And then we're speaking of what he calls tribal judges. And then we're speaking of Moses, the ruler of the people, and then God. If you have a problem, go to the head of your household. Boy, that's a dirty word today. We don't like to have heads of household anymore. We want them all equal. In fact, maybe we could pick an 11 or 12-year-old to run our house. God-anointed authorities. In Corinthians 11, he says what the order is clearly. He says the head of Every man is Christ and the head of every woman is man. He lays it out there. For this day, I wish he had kept going. Apparently, he didn't think that it needed to be said, parents, you're the head of your children. They are not the head of you. If your children are determining your schedule, if your children are telling you what would happen in a day, your household is upside down and it would be very difficult for God to bless it. In this judicial order, he said... First, it starts in your home. If you cannot settle it in your home, then there would be a tribal judge. This is something akin to a pastor. But it was usually solved when two households could not get along. Not a singular household, because the head of the household's ruling was a ruling. But when two households couldn't get along, they took it to a tribal judge. If the tribal judge could not answer, he took it to Moses. There's only a handful of times in all of the Scripture Moses didn't know what to do. But when he was asked by Caleb's daughters about an inheritance, do you know what he did? He said, I'll get back to you. i got to go speak to my boss. It all depended on someone hearing from God. And if you're having trouble hearing from God, then you might go to a brother. And maybe the two of you together can hear from God. If the two of you together can't do it, you might go to a pastor. If the pastor can't do it, all of you are going to have to go to the original source, which is where we should start. Are you hearing me? I'm trying to work myself out of a job. How good would it be if we were hearing from God every day? Oh, counseling would be cut by 90%. Of course, most counseling is not that you don't know what to do. It's that you would like to excuse the need to do it, right? I'm the same way. I'm the same way. I don't like myself sometimes, but I love what God's doing in me. And I hope you can recognize what the Lord's doing in you. Oh, what has he spoken to you that is worth hanging on to? And are you satisfied with what he did 20 years ago or 30 years ago when you can have more today? Oh, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness get filled. Turn with me to Psalm 82. There is a huge flaw in the system, men hearing from God. In all the years that I've been preaching, in all the years I've been listening to sermons, I have never heard anyone preach on Psalm 82. And Jesus himself quotes it and quotes it authoritatively. Psalm 82, verse 1. God presides in the great assembly. He gives judgment among the gods. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. If you're having trouble following, by the way, God is speaking to those with whom he had invested his power. He had invested his kingdom. And the scripture refers to them, in a sense, as little gods here. And he is frustrated. He wants to know why it is that they defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked. 
And then he tells them the kind of things he wants them to do. Defend the cause of the weak and fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. This is God's business. And if you're working for Him, this is your business. They know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. When those who are God's representatives do not act like God, it says that the foundations of the earth are shaken. Why are they shaken? Because if the kingdom of God is not being established on earth, then what hope do any of us have? Perhaps this is why there is so much escapist theology today. Perhaps this is why we are so focused on leaving this world and going to some other. God's book, His holy revelation, is about bringing the realm in which His authority is perfectly obeyed upon the earth. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It shakes the earth to its very core when we do not implement God's judgments. In our news here recently, a grand jury came to a conclusion that a certain segment of the Ferguson population didn't like. Was the result the lamb lying down with the wolf and children playing at the holes of the adders? They're saying, hands up, don't shoot. I wasn't there. I didn't get the videotape, but I have a slightly different message. Pants up, don't loot. Anarchy shakes the foundations of the earth. And you say, why? There's injustice. If there's injustice, find God's remedy. I don't blame the people. I blame the pastors. I blame the pulpits for softening God's word, for not having God's word in their hearts. The men who call themselves reverence are in fact extortionists. Oh, church, we have to hear from God. You cannot reduce these things to a segment of economics. You can't reduce these things to the color of our eyes, hair, or skin. This has to do with whether or not we've heard from God. And I assure you that the king of the universe is not saying steal TV sets or burn a city down. How do we deal with injustice? I know if... Something unjust happened to Jennifer. Let's go hurt all people who are blonde, haired, and blue-eyed. That will fix it. There's a lady who had a cake store from Ferguson. Her store was looted three nights in a row. In what way does that fix a problem? And the pulpits are silent because people are afraid. Judgment belongs to God. And it's our job to hear from Him. Say, well, it's not in our town. It doesn't affect me. We're supposed to care more about our brothers than ourselves. How do you pray? How do you pray if you don't know what God's will is? Or do we sit at home in silent protest? Is that our form of prayer these days? We disagree with it between ourselves. Church, they're murdering babies in our town. Murdering babies in our town. Have you got before God about it? Do you have a role? In our town, they're trading young girls like playing cards. 
in our town? Do you care? There is a movement towards social justice. What's wrong with social justice is the social system has never actually brought justice, ever. It might look good, it might be window dressing, but I want to tell you that when God renders a judgment and His people carry it out, it's effective. It was totally effective for Noah's family. It was totally effective for Abraham and Lot, the remnant of God. It was totally effective for all in Egypt who listened to Joseph. It was totally effective for Israel. It birthed a nation when they came out of Egypt. It was totally effective for an entire city that Jonah preached to, Nineveh. Have you seen the news lately? What's happening in Nineveh? When we turn away from the judgments that God has rendered, when we turn away from His Word, the foundations of the earth are shaken. In verse 6, I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High, but you will die like mere men. You will fall like every other ruler. When the sons of God act like ordinary men, when our decisions are simply based on our own logic, when our decisions are based on mere instinct, Jude says it this way, men who do not have the Spirit of God divide you. When we are no longer hearing from God, we do things like build the Tower of Babel. When we're no longer hearing from God, we might look at a man, a prophet who was sent to help us and decide to stone him. It's happened throughout church history. In fact, the church misses most of the revivals that were aimed for the church. So I ask you, how important is it that you hear from God? Are you a Christian first? Or an American first? Are you a Christian first? Or are you a black American first? Are you a Christian first? Or are you an Egyptian Christian first? See, when we care about what God says more than what anything else uh, says or affects us, all of a sudden it brings a rightness to the world. Have you heard from God lately? And what was he telling you? Deuteronomy 1 ultimately takes the pressure off of you about the judgment. If the judge is our king and he is the source, you're under no obligation to have an opinion when he hasn't spoken. How much better would the world be if you had no opinion when God had not spoken? Turn with me then to Ecclesiastes 12. The scripture foresaw this problem. And a man as wise as Solomon takes 12 chapters to get there. And in one of the strangest books in all of the Bible and probably the most quoted from all of the cults and yet divinely inspired by God, he comes to a conclusion in the 12th chapter that is entirely worthwhile. Chapter 12 and verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Does the word of God embed itself into you like something that you could say is a firmly embedded nail? You know, if you're hanging off the side of a cliff, you want a firmly embedded nail. Jesus had a firmly embedded nail. God's Word nailed him to a cross. He knew what God's will was for his life. You see him struggle with it in Gethsemane. But he never backed away from it. 
because he knew what obedience would yield. A firmly embedded nail given by one shepherd. I love that you call me pastor, but we have but one pastor. I love that you respect the elders in this church and you should, their lives are respectable. You have but one shepherd. You have but one elder. All the rest of us work for him. And our word is only as good as what we have heard from him. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, in addition to what God himself has given you. Of making many books, there is no end. In much study wearies the body. Is there not a student in the house that could say amen to that? Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his request. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. What is the whole duty of man? To do what God himself has said. You have no obligation to do what your mother-in-law says. You have no obligation to do what your 13-year-old says. You have every obligation to do exactly what God says. And let me go ahead and correct the mother-in-law thing. If she's speaking for God, you have every obligation to do it. It's a determination that needs to be made quickly. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. There is a day of judgment coming. And one of the things that we will all face is did we act on God's judgments or did we add to them or did we ignore them? He is coming for a people that knows His voice. You know, it's only happened a few times. But at a distance in a crowd, I've mistaken someone else for my wife. Long blonde hair, about the same height, those kind of things. But when she speaks, even in a crowded room, I know her voice above all others. You can mistake something for the form of God. You can. It can seem right. It can sound good. One ignorant lost person told me, well, that guy's preaching from the same Bible you are. I said, so did the devil to Jesus. But you need to know your father's voice. How many of you have heard, judge not lest you be judged? How about twist not lest you be Satan? If this is the only verse we know, it hardly puts it into perspective. I shared with you seven men who knew God's will before it happened. I imagine that the people around them said, why are you judging us? They weren't. They knew what God's judgment was and they were pronouncing God's judgment. In John 10, 34 through 38, they accused Jesus of being a mere man. And he said, you accuse me of being a mere man. He goes on to say, don't believe me unless I do the things the Father does. He actually references Psalm 82. It's a way of saying, if you look carefully, I think you'll see uh, I'm God. (laughs) I think they understood it. They wanted to kill him for saying it. We read it and it just seems like, you know, he's being clever. Turn with me then to our point, which probably begins in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. Say there when you were there. It's one thing to illustrate a biblical truth. It's another to know what it is to practically apply it. And I want to move to a practical application. 
just prior to that, we need to acknowledge this passage. Starting in the second chapter of 1 Corinthians and the ninth verse. However, as it is written, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. This is usually where the passage ends. This is a quote from Isaiah. Let me ask you, did Isaiah have an idea what God had prepared for him? He wrote 66 chapters that are among the most revelatory in history. Can we say that his eyes had not seen, his ears had not heard, that his mind had not conceived? I don't think that we can say that. And yet he wrote these words. I think you have to read the next sentence. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. Your eyes are incapable of understanding God. Your ears incapable of understanding God. Your mind will never conceive of His ways. But His Spirit can reveal to your spirit the truth. And the kingdom is dependent upon it. He goes on to say, we have the mind of Christ. I love these little bracelets. I find them cheeky at best. What would Jesus do? Well, we have a book that records what Jesus did. Why do we have to ask what He would do? He put His Spirit inside of us. Why do we have to ask what Jesus would do when He is inside of us and you're only supposed to be doing what He's leading you to do? At best, it's a slightly carnal attempt to govern church behavior. You know, the lost people make fun of it now. You know, at work, if somebody gets mad with somebody else, they go, oh, what would Jesus do? And neither one of them love Jesus. It's just a bad joke. You know, a man who is led by God's Spirit is asking every minute, what is Jesus doing? Lord, what is my next step? If you believe Psalm 37 and verse 23 that He orders the steps of a righteous man, then shouldn't we have to ask the question, how many steps do I take in a day? And which ones of them did He order? The frightening thing is not that a man can hear from God. That's frightening to some. The frightening thing is not that a man can be used by God. The frightening thing is how many steps and how many words we speak that were not directed by Him. Church, there's a whole world watching. They're waiting for the sons of God. They're waiting to see if we render God's judgments. Do you know how many God-seeking, church-hating people there are out there? I was in a cigar shop the other day and I just met a man named Jonathan. And Jonathan is warming to the Lord in every way. I really like him. But I got a feeling that he's not been treated very well by most churches. It probably has something to do with a fairly modern view of piercings. But you know, God doesn't judge by outer appearances. Israel would have rejected the best king they ever had. In fact, if you think deeply about it, they did reject the best king they ever had because he appeared to be in ordinary man. It's important that we hear from God. Somebody might look like a carpenter to you and they be the person that God has sent into your life to bring you freedom. When's the last time that you heard from God? The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. He goes on in the 16th verse to say, For who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct Him, but we have the mind of Christ. Why doesn't he say, I have the mind of Christ? He expected everyone who was reading this letter 
to have the mind of Christ. I would tell you, throw away your bracelet. Get on your knees and ask Him to lead you. Don't ask a bracelet to replace what your entire heart, soul, mind, and strength are supposed to be set on. One of the things that I love the most about Jesus, and there are many things that I love about Him, He gives us very practical steps. If you listen to the positions that He was put in, He teaches us exactly how to hear from God. Would you like to know what Jesus teaches about hearing from God? Or do you find it so easily you need no more instruction? I still struggle in these areas. In John 5.30, listen to this passage. Put it on the screen for us. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but Him who sent me. You want to know whether or not you've heard from God? I would say test number one is, does this please you or does this please God? Everybody thinks that they've heard from God and yet what they've heard has to do with their own pleasures. James warned us about such folly. He said, you do not have when you ask because you ask with wrong motives. When seeking God's will, the first thing you need to ask is, who do you want to please? There was a time I was driving past a car dealership praying for God's will. Do I have to tell you how that one ended? It ended with 350 cubic inches, a lot of foot-pounds of torque, and a car that I needed to sell because my wife had heard rightly from God I had not. And what was the problem? While I claimed I wanted to please the Lord, it was really me that I was trying to please. Turn to John 7.24 or else put it on the screen. In John 7.24, he says it this way. Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment in your seeking God's will. Is it a superficial or fleshly look? Have you had the time to consider it? One of the devil's best tools, and it shows up in most sales techniques, is to create a sense of urgency that says, no, 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 don't go pray. No, 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 don't don't go seek God's face. You must make a decision now. Your cold cash will be no good tomorrow. The women are snickering and the men have no idea what we're talking about. If in the first test you need to ask is, am I seeking to please myself or God? The second one is, am I making a judgment based on superficial reasons? Have I taken the time to hear from Him? In John 8, 15, we find our next one. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. Are you judging by what you think is right? Or has God's Word illuminated to you what is right? And when I say illuminated, you are crazy charismatic Christians. I'm speaking of that rhema. Not just the law book that you've consulted to see what does God's Word say, but in reading His Word, did the Word make the judgment for you? I was standing in a line at Starbucks when they first became popular in the area that I was living in. And I was preaching a message called Judge Not that night. And I made a very superficial judgment about the man in line in front of me. I didn't like his tone. I didn't like, I didn't like the man. And I didn't know him. Is that very godly? Y'all can shame me. Is that very godly? No. 
No, it wasn't. And when my coffee was served at that time, Starbucks had counters with a 45-degree angle on a piece of marble on top of it. Uh, they've since discontinued that practice because of the rest of the story. When they handed me the 20 ounces of steaming hot liquid, I set it on that counter, and it spilled uh, right on my groin. Now, judging by superficial appearances, who looked silly, the man who ordered before me or me? God will go a long ways to make sure that you use His eyes and not your eyes. He may even make you look like a fool to show you the fallacy of judging by your own standards. If you get to the 16th verse, you find a fourth uh, prerequisite for judgment. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. Do you stand with God? Are you standing in the place that He told you to stand? And maybe better than that, did He send you to make this judgment? We offer an opinion about a great many things. If it's in your home and you lead the home, you should have an opinion because you are the leader of the home. If it is in your church and you lead the church, you should have an opinion because you lead the church. If it's in your nation and you're leading the nation, you should have an opinion. But where you have no authority, you probably should not have an opinion. Did God send you to make the judgment. Say, well, which was Jonah? He wasn't leading the nation and it wasn't his home. But Jonah knew beyond any question that he was sent by God. Are you like me ever? Do you get adamant about things that God didn't send you to say? Are you less than adamant about the things that you know He did send you to say? Both are, are twin sins from the same father. I would encourage you, do you want to please you or do you want to please the king? Is your judgment superficial? Did you make it in a rash way? Are you judging by human standards or God's? Can you say that you stand with God in the word that you're expressing? And did he send you to say it? My favorite is probably John 8, 26. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. This is one of the very few times that you can feel the will of Jesus being submitted to the Father. You can see it again in the garden. Father, if it's possible that this cup would pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you would will. Right? And here he says to them, I have a whole lot I'd like to tell you right now. But he who sent me is reliable. And what he says is what I tell the world. What a way to make judgments. What a way to hear from God. He only expresses what he saw or heard the Father doing. Wow, by that standard, how were we doing? I got a lot of room to grow. I actually could fall in with John the Baptist and say, I must decrease and he must increase. I might need to learn sometimes when I'm being asked about something to say what John the Baptist said. I can only receive that which was given to me from heaven. But when he does reveal something to you, how precious is what he's revealed? You know, I've never noticed him speaking to someone who was not listening. I mean, occasionally it happens when someone's lost. Someone can be shaking their fist in the air and God can interrupt them 
Tell them they're fighting for the wrong side and save them. But among his people, he is usually looking for the one who is seeking him. Those who worship in spirit and truth, he said, these are the kind that the Father seeks. Romans 12 goes so far as to say, if you submit the members of your body, this is your spiritual act of worship. And then you will be able to test and approve of what God's will is. In other words, if you put yourself in a position to hear, he likes to speak to those people. How precious is it then when you're praying for a brother because you care about that brother, because you care what God's will is for that brother. And the Lord says, I want you to go now to him while he's in the hospital. And 24 hours later, he's out of the hospital. How precious? Well, I guess it depends on whether you're one of the two brothers or not. See, when we expect to hear from God, you often do because you take the time to hear from him. Have you wondered why so many things that we pray don't happen? Ask yourself, did I hear from God about what I was praying? Or did I simply consult the rule book and say, God, you have to do it this way because that's my understanding of your word. Oh, could the healing ministry use a bit of God's will? Let me sum it up a slightly different way for you. Would you rather be in the position of praying for Jennifer because God sent you and you know that you're supposed to be there praying for her or praying because you hope based on your understanding of the word that God wants to heal everybody all of the time? Which position would you rather be in? Let's, let's assume for a moment that they're both true. Which position would you rather be in? The man who has heard from God is a dangerous thing to the enemy. Which one of you does not want to hear from God? Well, we all want to. Who's willing to lay before Him? Who's willing to set aside everything else that you might? You know, some of the decisions that seem minor in the early church had implications that have lasted more than 2,000 years. Look at the 15th chapter of Acts and the 19th verse. We're going to put it on the screen for you. It is my judgment, James said, Therefore, that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. Do you realize if this man didn't hear from God and issue this judgment, you would have to become circumcised to enter into the church? You would also have to follow a dietary law to enter. The, you would have to proselytize yourself to Judaism. How important is this decision? And I want you to hear something. He claimed it as his own. He said, well, I thought we were only supposed to render God's judgment. The people trusted that when he said, it's my judgment, that he got it from God. Did he take the time to hear from him? Yes, this was a conference. Was it based upon the scripture? Yes, he quotes Amos right before he says this. Did he have a superficial judging of it? No, he had listened to the testimonies of all of the missionaries and what God was doing among the Gentiles. And he heard from God and claimed that judgment as his own. You know why? He was in authority in Jerusalem. This was the house that God had him rule over. And so he said, it is my judgment. And that one decision means that you can come in here and fellowship without proselytizing yourself to Judaism. How important are decisions? Church, we have important decisions to make. Really important decisions. I think the biggest enemy to hearing from God is the fear that you might be wrong. Romans 10 teaches us, around verse 17, that hearing comes from the Word of God. That's where it comes from. 
Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the Word of Christ. You want to have faith in a subject? We need to hear from God about that subject. How do you hear from God about it? You need to get in His Word, get in His Word, get in His Word, get in His Word. And the more you're in His Word, the more He will use His Word to speak to you. And once you've heard from God about a situation, that you can put your trust in. Oh, that is a dangerous, dangerous man to the enemy. Because you have it on the authority of Scripture. You have it on the authority of personal experience. And while the whole world may disagree with you, you've heard from God. Oh, this is the person you want with you in a foxhole. Now, there's any number of passages in the Bible. You can get to the 66th chapter of Isaiah in the 16th verse, and one of the last things that God ever says is that He's going to judge every inhabitant of the earth. You can get to Daniel 7.22 and he says he's going to render judgment on behalf of the saints. Somebody say, that's good news. But I like Peter. Peter says it this way. In 1 Peter, the 4th chapter and the 17th verse, he says, for it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God. When you think of judgment, friends, you may simply be thinking of the Bema Seat of Christ. You may be thinking of the great white throne. I believe that in this sense, judgment means quite literally whether or not you are hearing from Him about everything that you do. I want to encourage you that your hunch is not your hunch anymore. The reason I titled the message Embedded Nail, have you ever gone to buy something and you just couldn't sleep the night before, whether good or bad? Have you ever made a decision and it just didn't set well with you? It's like you had a splinter or something. For the man of God who loves the Lord, it's not hard to hear from God. He will make it hard for you not to. He will take your peace from you. He will afflict you. He, he will press upon you because He doesn't want you out of His will. You are the agent of His will. For this reason, many times in charismatic Christianity, people say, I just I want to be led by the peace. This is also deceptive. How much peace do you think that you will feel if you're going to be crucified tomorrow? You do it for the joy that's set before you. Embedded nail means to me that God has hammered it into the constitution of a man so that it cannot be removed. That's what you know that you've heard from God. And when you've heard from God, you can trust in it. He is never wrong. He will never let you down. If it takes 1,878 years for a nation to be born in a single day because God said it, it will come about. Let me ask you what you've heard from God. We're going to worship and then we're going to take communion. Communion is one of those times when what you are doing is removing everything that would compete from your ability to hear from God and going back to the very basic thing. Lord, I promise to die for you because you died for me. I believe that when I take this cup, it's a symbol that your blood has washed away my sin and that we're in covenant together. I believe when I eat this unleavened cracker, what is actually happening is I'm making good on my pledge to eat your will and add nothing to it. And in that moment, if the moment before you had been a no good, dirty, lying scumbag of a Christian, in that moment, 
not because of the meal, but because of what it represents. You've pushed all that aside and you stand in faith. He said, Lord, would you speak to me? An amazing thing happens when he speaks and you do it. He speaks again. Sometimes we don't hear from God because what we've already heard from God, we've disregarded. Is there something left undone in your life? Has he already told you to do something and you flat out said no? But you want him to speak to you on another subject? I don't know how it was in your house growing up, but in mine, you had to hear your parent the first time they spoke. And until you were obedient, there were no other good words coming your direction. We have a loving, merciful father, but he requires more obedience than your earthly parents did. That's for sure. And your earthly parents might have been wrong. He never is. Tonight, when we take communion, could you remove everything from your heart and mind that might hinder you from hearing from God? And then whatever comes to your mind, whatever it is, maybe we could start simply by doing it. And then you watch. See if you don't begin to get a daily message from him. Jesus said, Father, give us this day our daily bread for the church to stand in turbulent times. We can't live on the bread of our experience when we were saved, the bread of our experience when we were baptized in the Holy Ghost, the bread of our experience when we used to be fired up for Jesus. That's now stale bread. It's Samson's jawbone that is disregarded because it's not good for today's battle. We need to hear from God today. You need to know what His will is for you today. And if you're in that tiny remnant that says, man, I'm there. I got it. I got it, Pastor. You're preaching right to me, but, but you're, you're a day late and a dollar short. I got it. Then there's a bunch of us that aren't sure about some things. Maybe you could seek God's face with us. We have some heavyweight decisions in this church in this next couple weeks. Some serious, serious issues. And you've heard from God, it's His judgment. It's not yours. But when you haven't, it's agonizing. I want an environment where we're hearing from the Lord and doing it together. That takes all the pressure off. And Moses told me that if the problem's too big for me, I can bring it to a tribal elder. And if it's too big for our tribal elder, then we can turn together and go and ask God.